Good evening, Refuge. Tonight we'll be continuing our study through the book of 1 Peter as we look at the beginning of chapter 3, focusing in on verses 1 through 6. My goal is to break down these verses by explaining them to you, then focusing in on some application uh, at the end. Uh, If you've not already, please turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3. While you're turning to our text, I want to make one thing abundantly clear. A lot of you in this room might read this text and say that this doesn't apply to me. I want to warn you not to think in such of a way. Do not remove yourself from this text. Do not check out because this text does not apply to your life today. I assure you that it most assuredly does. Not only that, but 2 Timothy 3, 16-17 makes clear this word is breathed out by God. It is profitable for you for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that you may be complete and equipped for every good work. Regardless of your marital status, we can all grow and be encouraged from the scriptures tonight. Brothers and sisters, let that be an encouragement to you. We're going to be reading uh, 1 through 6. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus Christ, thanking you that we have the opportunity tonight to gather together in your name and to open up your word. It is powerful, it is alive, it is active, it is sharper than any two-edged sword. And I pray, Lord, that we would have our eyes of our heart open to behold wondrous things from your law tonight. Lord, I pray that you would do a work in the hearts of the hearers in this room. Lord, you are holy. You are worthy of all praise, honor, and glory. And I pray that tonight we would see a greater sense of your glory through your written word. And I pray, Father, that you would increase our faith I pray, Lord, that we would see our poverty of spirit and that it would draw us to mourning, to weeping over our sin with the great hope that we will be comforted because of Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would do a work right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Nowadays, we often think, especially when reading a book, that when we flip to a new chapter, it usually means a change in topic. That is true, at least on some level. So what we have the tendency to do is to take that thinking with us when we read the Bible. But the Bible is different. If you think about when these letters were written, 
They did not have what we have in our hands today with the chapter divisions and the number markings every verse. It was written in the form of a letter, and it was given to multiple churches. Think of it like this, as if I would hand write a letter to my wife and give it to her. I would not number every sentence individually, nor would I give headings over different topics throughout the letter. So keep that in mind as we dig into chapter 3 and see as it addressed, as in your Bibles, it is addressed to wives and husbands. Most of your Bibles, we need to think of as one, as we read your Bible, we need to think of this letter as one continual flow, as if it was a letter written in the form as it was written. It is uh, speaking of the same theme in which Peter is talking about in the previous verses in chapter 2. The theme is continued from chapter 2, verse 13, in this form of submission. Uh, Before we dive in our text this evening, I think it's important for us to recap what we've been spending our time on the last month. Over the last month, we've spent uh, weeks breaking down what Peter is saying in regard to submitting to human institutions, specifically in light of unjust suffering. At the end of last year, Chris spoke directly about this in regard to different forms of government and how we are to properly submit and reject their limited authority in verses 13 through 17. Then in the following week, in verses 18 through 21, Chase broke down this submission specifically addressing servants or slaves or bond servants. He introduced in a deeper way the sense of unjust suffering and how they would respond in light of it. The slaves and citizens are called to endure for it was a gracious thing, for it is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Next, we see this example of Christ, who has left us the greatest example of enduring through unjust suffering. We spent two weeks looking at this, where we see how Jesus committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. He did not respond in the way people thought he would, or even how people thought he should have responded. He was silent like a lamb before its shears. Chase closed out chapter 2 last week with the beautiful reminder of this great exchange, Christ taking our filthiness, our sinfulness, and exchange, imputing to us his righteousness, his spotless righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Peter chooses, uh, rather, Peter closes this chapter with a great reminder of the shepherd, Jesus Christ, returning us back from our wandering as we have gone astray like lost sheep. Now that we're caught up, let's turn our attention to chapter 3, where Peter is now addressing wives specifically. Looking at verse 1, we read, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. Peter begins chapter 3 with the word, likewise. This is translated to mean, in the same way. He is referring to what he has outlined in regard to submission in the previous verses in chapter 2. We saw him outline relationships between human institutions, like a citizen to government, servants to their masters, and Jesus Christ to the will of the Father. And now he is addressing this relationship of wives to their own husbands. Biblical scholars agree that Peter is addressing people who are more likely to experience forms of unjust suffering which is why he writes to slaves, citizens, and wives more explicitly. These groups of people would be more apt to experience forms of unjust suffering in this day. 
He is saying that wives should submit to their own husbands just as citizens should submit to the authorities and slaves should submit to their masters. In other words, Peter is encouraging these individuals to voluntarily submit. A few things to note is what Peter is not saying. Peter is not saying that all women should submit to all men, but he's saying they should submit to their own husbands. Peter is also not saying that women are lesser than men, but he affirms the Bible's teaching that men and women are made both equally in the image of God. We can see this clearly shown in Genesis 1, 26-27, as well as they are one in Christ, equal, as Paul notes in Galatians 3, 28. <clears throat> what Peter is doing here is he's making an echo of a husband being the head of the household, as Jesus is head of the church. We can see this across the pages of Scripture, abundantly clear, and what I'm going to do now is read a bunch of Scriptures uh, in reference to that, and we don't have the time to go through them individually, so don't worry about writing them. Uh, if you want them, you can talk to me after, and I'll be happy to, to give you them. Uh, we can see this evident in Genesis 3.16, 1 Corinthians 11.3, 1 Corinthians 14.34, Ephesians 5.22-24, Colossians 3.18, 1 Timothy 2.11-12, as well as in Titus 3-5. As we can see, this is abundantly clear that men have been given the responsibility as headship in the home. Warren Wiersbe summarizes this beautifully as he says, Headship is not dictatorship but the loving exercise of divine authority under the lordship of Christ. Uh, I, I believe Warren gives a beautiful representation of what headship biblically looks like. He says, it is the loving exercise of divine authority under the lordship of Jesus Christ. It's not a dictatorship. When we hear this word submission or submit, we often think in a negative light. That's not what the Bible is saying. This is not what Peter is saying. Uh, a biblical man who is doing this is doing it in a loving exercise under his lordship of Jesus Christ. Moving back to the uh, back half of verse 1, Peter says, So that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. He is speaking to all wives here, not just ones who are married to unbelieving husbands. But he makes the uh, distinction of if, if to imply that some women will have husbands who are not believers and who reject the word, meaning the gospel. They too are called to submit to their unbelieving husbands. Why? Peter tells us so that they may be won or that they could be won without a word by the conduct of their lives. He is making the point that wives are not to badger their unbelieving husbands about conversion with their words. They're not to banter them with their words. Peter is making a play on words here. As he says, these men disobey the word, but their wives are not to use these words in the sense of badgering to uh, get their husband to become converted. Instead, they are to use their godly conduct to win over their husbands. Now, I'm not saying that they're never to open up and speak words to their unbelieving spouses and unbelieving husbands. <clears throat> we know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. That is not 
what I'm saying. Godly behavior is the way in which Peter calls these wives to submit to their husbands. Peter is treating women with dignity and respect, which is consistent with the teaching of Jesus as he treated women in the same way during his life. And this is no small thing, might I add. This was a countercultural thing in the Greco-Roman time as women were often viewed as lesser to men and they were often mistreated because of it. The wives were to submit to these unbelieving husbands because of their relationship to God. Moving on to the following verse in verse 2. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight, excuse me, is very precious. So as we pick up in verse 2, we see that Peter calls the wives to a respectful and pure conduct. This is echoed in what Paul wrote to Titus about women in the church in Titus chapter 2 in verse 5. He says, women are to be self-controlled, to be pure, to be working at home, to be kind, and to be submissive to their own husbands. Why? That the word of God may not be reviled. The point Peter is making is that their submission is to God. Their conduct is to fear God. Thus, it is to be respectful to their own husbands and is to be pure. The same word for respectful is translated into this fear, this holy fear, this fear of reverence. And it's also used in the same text back in uh, 1 Peter 2.18 as Peter addresses slaves. This is the same way that the slaves are to submit to their masters. It's a reverence to God. This was a radical living in the Greco-Roman time as wives would often uh, submit to their husband's religion, which in majority of instances would be that of the Roman gods. Wives would not submit to their husband's religion because their devotion was to God. Not accepting the faith of their husbands was socially radical and it was often followed by by forms of unjust suffering. This is who Peter is addressing, uh, both wives who have believing husbands as well as wives in, in, the sense, in the sense of unbelieving husbands. We can conce- see this continual flow here of Peter of this unjust suffering. But more importantly in verse 2, Peter points out the sense of adornment. He says, Do not let your adorning be external, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart, with the, impre- the, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. If you notice, I skipped the middle of these verses to show you the flow of what Peter is saying. The middle portion is viewed as an editorial comment by Peter when he gives examples of the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear. Adornment in this time was of the utmost, important to, utmost importance to women as they would often spend long time of hours and large amounts of money on their dress and their, their appearance. They would dress to show their wealth in external forms. This is evident in portraits and sculptures, and it's even seen in the goddesses of Artemis of Ephesians and also in different cults of the day. Uh, Jay Balston gives us an image of what this looks like in this time. 
He says, Curl climbs on the top of curl and over the forehead. There arose something which at best looked like the chef d'oeuvre of a master pastry cook, or at worst, like a dry sponge. At the back, the hair was plaited, and the braids arranged in a coil which looked like basket work. So we can see this lustrous form of hair. It was braided like basket work, kind of like a, a wicker chair. You kind of get that image in your head. It was very uh, attention-drawing. They wanted people to see what they looked like externally. If you really think about it, it hasn't changed all that much in our time today. Women spend hours upon hours on external adornings and tons of money on their outward appearance in an unhealthy manner. This is evident. Look at what we follow on social media, the women we look up to and why we look up to them, or the types of shows or videos you watch, or the filthiness we put before our eyes, the amount of money we put into our clothes, our hair, and all sorts of pop products we buy. And men, this is addressing you too, we are no uh, form of excuse. We too are likewise in the same way, just putting the same amount of money and time wasting away in these ex- eternal matters, external matters. We encourage this in our women, and we indulge in the same manner in which women do. Ladies, I want to be clear here. Peter is not prohibiting you to braid your hair, to wear jewelry, or to wear clothing. But he is saying to not spend excessive money or time on your outer adornment or on your clothes that are seductive or immodest. We see this warning in Romans 1, through 25, and especially with the Israelites back in Isaiah chapter 3, 18 through 23. As God purged them from all these types of external adornments and stripped them down to nothing because they did not obey his word and rather they focused on this external adornment. Peter is not against adornment. In fact, he says so in verse 4. He says, But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. There's a lot to dig in here in this verse, so I'm going to be brief, but I encourage you guys to go back and study this more on your own. Peter first is saying, Let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart. What does that mean? Well, it means that the woman... And men should not focus on external but internal adorning. This internal adorning is speaking of the inner being, as noted in Romans 2.29, 7.22, as well in 2 Corinthians 4.16 and Ephesians 3.16. The literal translation is the inner self, the hidden person of the part, is what Peter says. What matters most is godly character, not external appearance. What matters most in God's eyes is godly character, not external appearance. This is loudly echoed in 1 Samuel 16, 7. Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him, says the Lord. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. How are you to do this? Well, Peter gives us the answer. With the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is, in God's sight, very precious. You are to do this with a gentle and a quiet spirit, which are examples of the fruit of the spirit. First, he says, gentle. You are to live in such a way that you ought to resemble a gentle life, a gentleness of Jesus. Jesus. 
Remember, Jesus didn't, uh, Jesus was lowly, he was meek. He did not ride into Jerusalem in a war horse, but he rode on a small donkey. In fact, they said the donkey was so small that Jesus, when he sat on it, if he put his legs down on the feet, his feet would click on the ground. He had to bend his knees to sit on this donkey. This is how low Jesus came to show the humility. You guys ought to be as low as Jesus was. Secondly, he says quiet. Quiet is in relation to being submissive to your own husband by not badgering with word, but with a pure conduct. Your actions will speak louder than your words, as the actions are the fruit behind your word. A godly behavior is attractive to your husband. Lastly, Peter says this type of adorning is very precious in the sight of God. The word precious is translated to costly making the point that eternal adorning is far more costly and precious in the sight of God than the external adorning. This is not a woman-only thing, but this is an all-believers thing, men and women alike, which we see in Matthew 5.5, Matthew 11.29, and later on as Peter addresses in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 16. Thomas Schreiner gives a, a good illustration of what this means not an illustration he comments on this rather he says the hidden person is not the inner side of the person but the whole human being as it is determined from within in other words what a person is on the inside does not remain hidden but manifests itself in the way wives behave in everyday life in particular women should strive for a gentle and quiet spirit inasmuch as these qualities are incorruptible whereas clothing, jewelry, and braided hair are transitory, and they will fade. Thomas hits it right on the head. He's saying these external adornments that we're all putting our, our, our money in, our time in, our attention to, are going to fade away. They will all be destroyed. The clothing we wear, the jewelry we put on, the external uh, braiding of hair. But he's saying rather seek the internal, what is incorruptible, what is imperishable. It is clear that Peter is addressing women in this verse. There's no doubt that he is addressing women and wives specifically in this verse. But there is an important implication for men. It's a warning, a very stern warning. And here's the warning. Woe to us who seek outer beauty. Men, I'm speaking to you men. Woe to us who seek outer beauty and lust upon the seductive dress of women. Woe to us if we make that the standard in which we seek a wife. That is a thousand percent unbiblical. If this describes you, you need to repent. This should bring you to tears, and it ought to break your hard heart. Do not treat women who are made in the image of God to be the satisfaction of your sin. Woe to you who continues to indulge in such a way. Flee from these passions and pray that God breaks your heart over them, leading you to repentance. God, let the men in this room be the means you use to change how our world degrades and objectifies women to what they have to offer based on their outward appearance. Let us be men who seek inner beauty and encourage that in our wives and the women in this congregation and in the world. Moving on to verse 5 and 6. 
For this is how holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Peter is now giving an Old Testament example of women who lived in such a manner, in such a manner of internal adorning. He is speaking of women like Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and Leah. He gives the specific example, example of Sarah in verse 6 as he references a time in Genesis 18 where Sarah actually laughed at the fact that God would bless her with a child in her old age. But the most important piece here, however, is her example that she hoped in God. This has been Peter's theme throughout his entire letter. Hope amidst suffering. Sarah hoped in God, and she did so by adorning herself through the submission to her own husband, as we see in verse 5. In verse 6, we see she called him Lord, which is a direct reflection of her submission to Abraham. She respected him and his headship, and she showed him dignity, calling him Lord. Sarah did not focus on external adornment, but that of internal that shows a quiet and gentle spirit, which is revealed in her true character. At the end of verse 6, we read, are you her And you are her children, if you do good, and do not fear anything that is frightening. Peter is sharing a condition, not that you earn anything by being good, but rather because of the faith one who hopes in God does good, but not only that, but one who does not fear this unjust suffering. They fear God, and they know they can rest amidst this temporary unjust suffering because God is sovereign. He is in control, and they know he will one day make all things right. This is a citation from Proverbs chapter 3, verse 25 through 26, which gives us a beautiful picture of this. We read, Do not be afraid of sudden terror or the ruin of the wicked when it comes, when it comes, for the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Brothers and sisters, heed the wisdom of this proverb. I would like to spend the remainder of our time together focusing on some practical theology. <clears throat> How can we practically live out uh, these things that Peter is talking about? How can we apply these verses to our lives? I believe we can do so by walking in what Peter outlined. And I want to encourage you guys to do so in four ways. Number one, win without a word. Number two, heed the warning of Artemis. Number three, seek hidden beauty. And finally, number four, follow Sarah's example. Number one, win without a word. 1 Timothy 4.16 says, Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so you will save both yourself and your hearers. Now, I'm not saying do not use words to preach the gospel to unbelievers. I think I've made that abundantly clear. I'm not saying you are to not use words. What I am saying is to win them by your conduct. Live lives that are pure and that are beautiful in order that people would see a difference in you. The worst thing that could be ever said of a Christian is you are no different than anybody else. Let that not be said of you. Keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. 
Number two, <clears throat> heed the warning of Artemis. Matthew 6, 25 says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? As I mentioned earlier, Artemis was the goddess of Ephesus, and she was someone that people worshipped, and she was extravagant in the statue of braiding hair of external adornments. So it's heeding this negative warning. Listen to the warning of Artemis. She was adorned with external matters. We need not be anxious about what we will wear as she was with the exotic braiding of her hair. Our God clothes us. He clothes us in robes of white, robes of righteousness because of the blood of Christ. He takes care of the birds in the air. Are you, child of God, not much more value than them? Most assuredly you are. Your, pro- your father provides. He is faithful. He keeps his word. Trust him to provide for you. And do not worry about external adorning. Heed the warning of Artemis. Number three. Seek hidden beauty. <clears throat> Second Corinthians 4.16 says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Brothers and sisters, we are not like those who have no hope. Our outer bodies are just like everyone else. They are wasting away day by day. They are changing. We can see the wrinkles in our face, the changing in our skin. Our clothes and our material things are going to be destroyed. They will be eaten away. They will be destroyed by rust and moths. Yet our inner being is eternal. It is being renewed day by day. Seek the beauty that is imperishable. Seek the beauty that is unfading. Seek true beauty that is precious, that is costly in the eyes of your Father. And finally, number four, follow Sarah's example. Hebrew 12, Hebrews 12, 1 through 2 says, Therefore we are surrounded, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We are the most blessed generation to ever walk the face of this earth. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the entire written word of God. We live in a free country to worship, to speak in the way I'm speaking tonight. We have the access to all sorts of biblical and historical texts. We can pull up the entire written word of God on our phones and our very hands in a matter of seconds. This is absolutely insane when you sit and ponder how privileged we really are. The encouragement is to seek those who have come before you, like Sarah, Moses, Mary, Joseph, Edwards, Whitfield, Calvin, and many others. Be encouraged by their walk with the Lord, how they overcame sin and temptation, how they reformed different religious traditions into biblical worship, how they abided and went 
to the ends of the earth to share the truth of Jesus Christ, how they lived in a manner that was pure in their conduct, how they adorned themselves with an internal adornments of the heart. They lived beautiful lives. You indeed are surrounded by the greatest cloud of witnesses. Seek these witnesses out. They are cheering for you as you run this race. Be encouraged of the men and women of faith who have ran and finished the race before you. As we close out our time together tonight, I would like to leave you with a quote by Edmund Clowney. It's a warning. He says, Enslavement to fashion by men or women runs counter to growth in spiritual holiness. Enslavement to fashion by men or women runs counter to growth in spiritual holiness. Pray with me. Heavenly Father God, our tendency right now is to justify and to put up walls that this does not describe us, that this does not have anything to do with us today. Lord, that is not true. Lord, would you pierce the heart? Would you allow it to grow in the depths of the hearers' hearts today? Satan wants to snatch the seed that has been planted. The cares of this world would like to choke it out. The seed that has been planted, your word says, has fallen on hard hearts. Lord, would it please fall on hearts that are soft? that would take root. I pray that this warning of enslavement to fashion and internal adornings would not be said of us. Lord, would you reconstruct our heart? Would you reconstruct our thinking to see the inner beauty is more costly and more precious in your sight? Father God, would you do an act of God in our hearts tonight? Help us to dwell on these texts. Help us to dwell on your word. And help us to live lives that are beautiful. That we would win people by our conduct. And that we would live in such a way that we would magnify and exalt and glorify the name of Jesus Christ. And run this race with endurance. Lord, I pray and ask this. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.